0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, back in California, Ben Goliver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. I'm feeling rested, rejuvenated, revitalized. You know, I, this summer, I really spent most of it in a very sad bubble, as you know, Summer League Top 100. I mean, it's very small little niche of the universe that we've crafted for ourselves, which you know, to any outsider, I think they would look at us and just be like, why do these guys care so much about any of this stuff? But I did pop out of that bubble for about a week for a nice road trip through the Deep South. I'd never really been down there. Fell in love with Tennessee, which is completely underrated as a state. Really liked Alabama. I'm ready to defect to Alabama after spending about three days there. I learned a ton. And you know what was so cool, Andrew? I was, you know, posting like a, you know, a 12 year old kid on Instagram as I was going step by step. <laughs> yeah, I was hearing from open floor globe members in every city, Andrew being like, hey, come meet us for coffee, come do this, come do that. It was crazy. So we have the Deep South blanketed in terms of uh, uh, listenership. Uh, okay. And for that, th- thanks for everyone who r- reached out. But now I'm back in uh, LA, as you mentioned, roaring and ready to go after Lakers media day. Uh, it was just nice to step outside the bubble and and uh, you know get a little different slice of American life.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there's no question you were in one of the saddest bubbles as you went from like 14 days in Vegas to then a month debating the top 100 players with Rob while the rest of the basketball media went on vacation. And just to be clear, one of the reasons Ben went to the American South for vacation was because you have a goal to visit all 50 states, which I actually think is really cool. And so you decided you were going to try to knock out four or five on this trip, right? Like it wasn't just like kind of a random pop in to Birmingham, Alabama. This was this was part of a broader strategy on your part. Is that right?
1: Look, if you're trying to get me to admit that I drove from Memphis to West Memphis, Arkansas to buy an Arkansas magnet at a Walmart, <laughs> solely that I could say that I went to Arkansas and check it off my 50-state list uh, and add to my incredible magnet collection, uh, you'd be accurate. No, I've wanted to go down there for a while. It was actually the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's death. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I did it, But- uh, you know, 1968, if we're power ranking the years of the 20th century, I mean, 1968 is like right at the top, very near the top, right? I mean, up there with probably 41 and 45, we can go through and debate yeah. that some other day. But, I mean, America uh,
0: was coming apart at the seams in 68.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it was the best. I'm just saying it's the most <laughs> yeah, It was important. not
0: <laughs> the best year in American history, but sure, it was a so big anyway, year.
1: So it was, I had always been interested in civil rights movement and all that. So on the 50th anniversary, it felt appropriate to go see you know, the house that Martin Luther King was born. Obviously, I went to the Civil Rights Memorial in Memphis, which is incredible. The NBA players are always talking about that. I was so excited to see that at the Lorraine uh, Motel in Memphis. It was off the charts good. Uh, went down to Alabama, saw where they did the Montgomery bus boycott. You know, Birmingham, of course, there was... You know, all sorts of, uh, you know, important moments uh, in the 60s taking place in that city. And then I went to Selma. I don't know if you've seen the movie Selma, but I did see the bridge that features prominently in that movie. Um, Yeah. You know, it it was the kind of trip, you know, kind of gives you chills a little bit. Like you think about all the history that was packed into uh, what are some, you know, fairly small towns and cities down there. Uh, You know, it was it was eye opening and I I highly recommend it. I should also plug. Can I
0: tell you one thing, though? You, over the course of the two and a half years that you and I have podcasted together and spent roughly three hours on the phone with each other each week, and now, by the way, we're back to two episodes a week, people, so get excited. Basketball is officially back, and we're back to the normal schedule well, but,
1: stop right there. You need to get excited because you said that like it was a drag, Andrew. We are excited.
0: <laughs> it is a little bit of a drag. All right. It's still like September. I'm not totally in the, the season mode, but I'm doing the best we can, the best I can anyways. And uh, we will have fun. It, it's going to be nice to get back to sort of our regular routine. But before we jump in, I do want to say over the course of two years... You've said a lot of different things that offend various sensibilities of mine, but I have never felt more alienated from you than I did on Saturday when you were peppering me with text messages and photos (laughs) from your tour of... Tuscaloosa, and Bryant-Denny Stadium, going to Alabama, Texas A&M. I think you became a full-fledged Alabama fan for about four hours, and I was just horrified. I kind of played along in the text messages because I didn't want to be a dick as like and, and sort of like cut down your excitement, but I just want to say I like Michigan Ben so much more than Alabama Ben.
1: Yeah, I think we should call Alabama Ben, Ben David. You know, they always go by the middle names down there, so you have to always <laughs> refer to me. <laughs> you have to always refer to me as Ben David. But no, Andrew, I mean, you've heard of wine connoisseurs, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm a win connoisseur, okay? I love oh greatness. Oh my you,
0: god!
1: <laughs> you know that about me. I love and respect greatness. You know, small minds, they like people. You know, it's easy to have your favorite player. I think medium-sized minds like teams or organizations, and, and I think... Uh, you know, large minds, the galaxy brains out there really respect the absolute best in their fields. And (laughs) Alabama football is such a machine. I mean, the high school recruits they had there at the games looked like NFL players, their team, the entire lines on both ends uh, were incredible. And as you know, I go to a Michigan game basically every single year for the last 10 years in the first three plays of Alabama's game. They had yeah. two of the three two of the best plays I think I've seen in the last decade of attending college football games in person. And they didn't even celebrate because it was just routine for them to make a diving 40 yard touchdown pass and then this incredible like fingertip interception. Um so no look, I'm not really an Alabama football fan, don't worry. <laughs> but they have a good thing going down there, and I will say roll tide roll just one time. You oh, know, and, that's, God. and that's for our open floor globe members who were, like I said, hitting me up at these various spots, you know. People in Mississippi, hotty toddy, or, or whatever you say there, Arkansas, pig Zoo. I mean, I got all these little slogans from people along the way. I love yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, the wine connoisseur, wind connoisseur, two-step from you a second ago just made me physically dry heave in my hotel room here. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the mic didn't pick it up. But with that, then let's get back to the NBA. And I... Look, you were on vacation during a fairly busy week of basketball news. A lot went down, almost all of it involving the Timberwolves. So let's start with two questions on Jimmy Butler and where he might go from here. Seth says, did Ben Golliver do this? Which do you think had a oh, bigger boy. impact on Jimmy Butler's trade demand? Tom Thibodeau attempting to reconstruct the 2011 Bulls. Or was it Jimmy Butler seeing that he had been ranked number 10 in the SI Top 100 and feeling emboldened to suddenly act like an A-list superstar? And then also Marco says, I'm not sure why, but I have this feeling that Jimmy Butler will end up on the Raptors. I have no evidence to back this up, but for some reason I can just feel it. Where do you guys think Jimmy is going? So I'll let you start from wherever you're most comfortable, Ben. Take it from here.
1: Well, look, let's not get too crazy with the SI uh, myopia because I heard people trying to blame Lee Jenkins for this too, right? He goes to the Clippers (laughs) and all of a sudden he's just assembling a whole squad. Come on, let's be real here. I think the most important place to start in this conversation is the timing of it because Mm -hmm. to me it's inexplicable and it's absolutely a black mark on Jimmy uh, Butler's reputation in much the same way as Kawhi Leonard's handling of his San Antonio Spurs situation last year uh, you know, basically makes Kawhi Leonard dead to me, you know, at least for the time being, there is no excuse for the way this played out from Jimmy's side. Okay. And we can absolutely bash Thibodeau, Layden, their owner, yeah. Glenn Taylor, Wiggins. I mean, all, everybody is responsible on some level, but when you are a top 10 level player, Business can be made very simple for you. How easy was it for Paul George to throw a concert with Nas and re-sign with the Thunder this summer, right? That took place in what? Less than 24 hours? LeBron announced his decision, less than 48 hours. Kevin Durant supposedly agonizing over his options in the Hamptons. That took three days, Andrew. He signed in July 4th. There is no reason for a week before camp for this to come out in September. It's inexcusable. Uh, And clearly, there were some communication issues along the way for it to come to this point, uh, but to me, even if you are completely on Butler's side in terms of the Timberwolves don't really have a great long-term ceiling, uh, Wiggins is dead weight, Towns is probably a little overrated because he can't play defense, like even if you're drinking the Jimmy Kool-Aid on the state of the Wolves and that they're never going to be a contender and you know he doesn't want to play in Minnesota or whatever reasons you would come up with to defend and rationalize his action you can't explain away the timing andrew it's terrible timing and he bears significant responsibility for that because he could have easily gone to glenn taylor at the end of last season and said i'm out trade me right now they would have had it done by now had he done that
0: yeah i mean the timing to me is the most interesting aspect of all this uh i agree with you that jimmy bears some responsibility for what's happened um, and that that was my predominant takeaway early last week before the trade demand had sort of become official. But I wrote about Minnesota in general and how kind of talking through and thinking through everything that's gone on there for the past year, it really makes everybody look bad. I mean, Tibbs is going to come out looking worse after all this. Cat, Wiggins, and Jimmy Butler. And, and Jimmy, I think bears a lot of responsibility for being short-sighted himself, even as he as he started last year. I mean, like, it, it was so clear that any path to success in Minnesota involved empowering Cat and Wiggins and, and sort of helping them take the next step. And I don't think Jimmy Butler recognized that or cared along the way, and that's on him as much as it is on Wiggins and Towns. Um,
1: but... Beyond Wait, can that. I stop you there? Can I push back real quick on that? What? I agree with what you just said when it comes to his treatment of talents, right? Like Towns, he plays hard, he's always out there, he's very very skilled and talented. Um, you know, he showed real growth, uh, you know, in his second season. He's going to be an all-star, all NBA level guy for a long long time, right? Yes. Do we really hold Jimmy responsible for not being able to lead Wiggins? Like, has anyone been able to get through to I Wiggins mean, over the what? last four or five years? I've been a ripping bit. Wiggins. Okay. I've been like, I tried to play nice with him for the first couple of years, give him time, you know, explain what he's doing well, say where he can improve. But it of a life cycle where it's like, you're not doing it after three to four seasons. Come on, man. You're getting paid this huge contract. You've got to show that you care. And frankly, I kind of like what Steven Jackson said about, you know, where's Wiggins' heart? (laughs) In the top 100, I said, is Andrew Wiggins a tin man, right? What's the implication there? Where's the heart? So I was on the same page with uh, Stack Jack. And I don't think we can hold Butler responsible for not being able to pull Wiggins along. That's a Wiggins issue, not a Butler issue.
0: No, I agree. And this is why, this is what I was writing about last week is like, you know what? The more you start talking about it, like, yeah, it's Jimmy Butler's fault that Wiggins. I mean, because what I would, what I would put on Butler is that he's not a very easy guy to play next to, and Wiggins's role, Wiggins was marginalized because of the way Jimmy plays offense and the terms he sets for every team he's going to be on and I I think part of that is is a reflection of his limits as a as a franchise guy and his kind of lack of flexibility and he also with Towns I mean like Towns just never saw the ball in crunch time and that again is partly on Jimmy but then the more you talk it through and think about what really went on in Minnesota like of course Wiggins is kind of soft and doesn't seem to really like have that killer instinct and that's probably going to be an issue no matter who's on the team and Cat was the same deal and and I think like nobody wants to start defending those guys either and so it's just a real mess all around and to circle back though the timing of the trade really makes me wonder what happened over the course of the summer because I agree with you that like the professional way to handle this would be to do it in the first week of July or sometime in June I mean he I think Jimmy met with Glenn Taylor back in the spring and like the writing was on the wall in terms of where things are going in Minnesota and it's been clear for a while that like they were going to hit these crossroads and so it's Seems a little bizarre to suddenly, in the first week of September, throw up your hands and say, I want out. And so that's why I don't think it was just Jimmy. I think Towns played a, a role in this. And I really do wonder whether something happened to sort of exacerbate uh, tensions that had been kind of lurking ben- beneath the surface a little bit. You know, like there's something crazy must have happened to sort of push things over the
1: edge. That's my theory. Are you are you trying to just casually walk me into the love triangle rumor? Is that what you're trying to do <laughs> no, kind of you know here or what are you doing? <laughs>
0: I don't want to be that guy, okay? I'm not going to read too much into Instagram love triangle conspiracy theories, but I it just all I'm saying is that there's got to be something else that happened late in the summer. To have brought us to this point, because it does. Like if you're Jimmy Butler, it doesn't really make sense to wait until like seven days before the season begins. You know, and it's no, not like he's uh, trying no. to promote the the start of basketball. Like this, this is inconvenient for him too.
1: No, you you mentioned earlier it would be the professional thing to do to handle it earlier. It would also be the pragmatic thing to do. Exactly. If you really want out, even if you're unprofessional, you do it early in the summer so you're not stuck here. And again, this is why Butler buries bears a lot of the responsibility because he's not only negatively impacting the Timberwolves, he's also negatively impacting whichever team trades for him because now they're starting, you know, a month, two months behind everyone else. I mean, the Rockets are out in the Bahamas, all these different teams are, you know, getting yeah. ready even before training camp starts and you're going to try to throw Jimmy Butler who's going to change the entire nature of your offense by dropping him onto a roster. Uh, and you're going to try to work that in during the preseason. I mean, the preseason starts in a couple days. I mean, that is a huge competitive di- disadvantage for whoever trades for him. Uh, I, <laughs> the funniest theory about like the timing is that he like just flat out told Thibodeau trade me and Thibodeau was like, OK, cool. Yeah, sure. Just and, like, ignored him. him. Yeah, that, that, and that just, actually and- is plausible, too. And then it never got to Taylor. Tibbs just like swallowed it and just like (laughs) pretended (laughs) that it didn't happen. That is the funniest possible explanation. I don't think that's what happened, but that would be really funny. Um, I think, though, in terms of parsing some of the blame, here's what I would hold against Thibodeau. If you are going to trade for a player like Butler, knowing the free agency risk there is looming last summer, right? In the modern NBA, you have to cater Everything to that guy, right? This is the yeah. LeBron, the LeBronization of the league, right? Like, if that's you're going to be your franchise player, he has to run everything. So, if he comes to you with some list of demands, you better execute them, right? Or, uh, you know, you have to maybe look at how you use him during the regular season, monitor his minutes and so forth, so that you, you know, keep him, him in a position where he could really lead your team to a sort of maximum success. And I'm not sure that happened last year. You know, given mm-hmm. the way he he broke down, like you mentioned earlier. But you know, beyond that, you also have to really hold his hand during the off season and make sure uh, you're on the same page. I mean, I think at this point, it's a fireable offense. Like, if you're trading as the coach GM for a star player, and the star player blows up your whole season less than a week before media day, you've got to be gone. And I understand from Minnesota standpoint, you don't fire him right before the season starts. That's awkward, but yeah, I think. Thibodeau can't be their coach next season. You know what I mean? Because it it sort of feels
0: like that's a given at this point that they're going to move on after this year. And I agree that it makes sense to move on from Tibbs. The one thing I would push back on a little bit is crushing Thibodeau for this move and the way it's played out. I mean, I struggle with this Because I was all in on the Wolves trading for Jimmy Butler. Just like I think a lot of people. Like if you go back to draft night and the deal they made, everybody was like, this is a slam dunk. It's time to go win. The Wolves don't need to get stuck in the lottery for another year. It's time to like weaponize these guys. And and Butler was kind of like clearly the missing piece. The one thing that I think we all kind of overlooked – at the time because it was inconvenient to discuss it was that like look the the Warriors were untouchable we knew that at the time they made this deal and it probably like the Wolves probably weren't going to turn into a title contender all of a sudden and Jimmy Butler was going to be turning 30 and looking at the future and was going to have a really tough decision to make in free agency and like given the market size there and the competition in the West, there was a lot of risk that he was going to turn around a, a year and a half after that trade and say, look, I don't intend to be here long-term, and the Wolves were going to be screwed. And that that risk was always there, and we all kind of overlooked it together. And so I can't single Thibs out here and, and say that he was the only guy who screwed this up. I think it was still no, kind no, of no. like— Slo-
1: Slow down, though, because he made the right trade. I still think if you could do it over, I would absolutely do it over if I was them. I think Thibodeau, his mistakes are in basically hand-holding this summer, right? You have to have very clear lines of communication, if you're the GM especially, but also if you're the coach last GM with your franchise player to make sure he's in, right? You're building the whole thing around him in his mold. He has to be bought in. If you're starting to sense that he's not bought in, You've got to move him before it gets, your season gets you know blown up in this manner. You've got to move him back in July. That's when you've got to do it. And you have to yeah. be able to say, Jimmy was my guy a couple of years ago. He's no longer my guy because he has eyes on New York or he has eyes on LA or, or whatever else. And I think that's where Thibodeau has to blame, uh, bear some of the blame. The other thing I'd say, too, is we've always talked about, oh, he's stuck in 2011, 2012. He's trying to put together the Timber Bulls. He plays these guys crazy minutes. He doesn't believe in managing... I think he's also stuck in sort of an older school mentality when it comes to personality management, which is like, you just expect a certain level of loyalty because you put a guy on, right? Yeah. Thibodeau is is very responsible for Jimmy's career. And I guess my question is, maybe he never saw this, you know, turn from Butler coming, right? And if if that's what happened, if he had just a blind spot and he had just expected full loyalty from Jimmy for the rest of the, you know, the rest of time, that is absolutely something we have to blame him for.
0: Yeah, I I blame Tibbs for a ton of things over the past two years in Minnesota. I mean, look, Cat hasn't made much progress from what he was as a rookie. I mean, he's he's probably worse defensively than he than what he was as a rookie. And, like, I think I, I would put more of the blame on Thibodeau for that stuff than I would for the way this has played out. Like, I don't even know what the value is in holding Jimmy's hand and convincing him to come back to a team that was like pretty openly miserable last year, and like you know, so what? So then you can turn around and, and pay him 190 million next summer. Like I don't think that's a win for Minnesota either. This was just kind of a crappy situation with a team that well, didn't really let me, come let, together.
1: Let me ask you. Could they have gotten more for him if they knew and were up front about his desire not coming back in July versus right now? So I feel like it's the Jimmy Butler garage sale, right? The Jimmy G buckets, the G stands for garage sale. <laughs> Maybe,
0: and that's actually a perfect transition. Where do you think he's going to end up? Because I, I mean, first of all, my brain is not conditioned to process trade rumors at the end of September, and so it's been kind of strange- to sort of make that adjustment Um, and like you know I I just am not used to even really thinking about this stuff this time of year I'm still getting used to the new teams around the league and conceptualizing what we're going to be seeing in both conferences and then Jimmy Butler is like this wild card thrown into the mix here how do you see this ending
1: I mean, I see two pretty good destinations in Miami and the Clippers. Like, I'd be okay with either one of those because they're kind of in similar situations, right? Like, you're in the middle of the pack of the conference. Uh, You know, you, you don't have that, you know, foundational player going forward. You've got the ability, if you do trade for him, to lock him up long term and kind of build things around him. He fits kind of the ethos that both those teams have been trying to establish. Well, Miami's had it for years. Uh, Mm -hmm. with Riley and Spolstra, but the Clippers are trying to be that same type of, you know, blue collar, rough and tumble type team. That's what they've been trying to rebrand after the Blake Griffin situation. I think both of those would make sense. But before we dig into, you know, the specifics of these, don't bury the lead here. I mean, I know you've got some real thoughts about why Jimmy doesn't want to be a Laker that you're just dying to explain to us.
0: Uh, I don't really, honestly. I mean, Here's the thing with Jimmy, it, like I don't blame him for not wanting to go play with LeBron. I think it is notable. We got a, a handful of angry emailers who saw a tweet of mine where all I really said was, "Say this is yet another superstar who doesn't want to play with LeBron James um, or doesn't seem to," and uh, and I think that that's just a fact that it, it's strange that la has la at least theoretically could create some room for jimmy butler and um it's it's strange that he wants to go to la and play with another star and there's a team that has the best player in the world in la and jimmy doesn't want to be there and uh, you know woge confirmed that like lebron's presence in la was kind of a, a deal breaker for butler um but it also, like, it doesn't make sense for the Lakers to want Jimmy Butler either. And uh, that is part of the conversation that I think complicates some of the buzz around all this. Is like, if I were a team, like, I don't know if I would really want Jimmy. It, like, th- he makes the most sense in Miami for, uh, first of all, I think he fits culturally. And it'd be really fun to watch him go down there and, like, grind with those guys. But uh, more than anything else, he makes sense for Miami because Miami has no other alternatives. And they might as well roll the dice and see if this can work because uh, the, the alternative is running it back with Deion Waiters and James Johnson and a bunch of guys who are making like more money than they should be. But, you know, the thing with the Clippers, and we got a, a bunch of questions about whether he would make sense in L.A. For, with the Clippers... I don't know, like if they're smart, do you really want to commit a ton of money to like mid-30s Jimmy Butler? Because the track record for, for guys who have played with Tibbs and survived that, are, it's not great for guys in their 30s, you know? And so I, I, it's a real concern.
1: No, I hear you. I mean, it would be awful ironic if they we give them all this praise for like, getting out of the Blake Griffin deal and then they just go right back and spend all that money on a Butler deal that could look exactly the same in like 12 months if
0: if they're as smart as we think they are and I do think they're smart like I don't know if Jimmy Butler is the move and uh it's gonna be really interesting because they could be desperate too and and Steve Ballmer could just be as thirsty as other people say the Clippers are and that's a
1: possibility We know they're very smart because they hired Lee Jenkins, okay? Like that was (laughs) exactly clearly the the first step of building a dynasty. But I think the Clippers are going to, in the not too distant future, find themselves with an identity crisis of like, who the heck are we, right? Like it's, they already played the underdog team last year. Hey, we're overachievers, but they didn't really make the playoffs. So they're left just empty handed, right? How long can you do that going forward? Would you rather build around Jimmy Butler with his concerns or Tobias Harris being Tobias Harris, right? And you think, Hey, we can trade for, you know, Jimmy pennies on the dollar. Now we do have to give him the big money, but we can potentially use him to try to compete for other free agents, put a team together where they're in the playoffs next season. Cause Butler can kind of, you know, do what he did in Minnesota and just kind of carry a team to like an eight seed. Right. And mm-hmm. then potentially be big time players next summer in free agency. If I'm the Clippers that sounds pretty close to a best case scenario because you're not going to get KD. You're not going to get uh, you know, a lot of these other guys. You can pray that you're going to get Kawhi Leonard, but you have to have something to pitch to Kawhi Leonard. And if they miss the playoffs again this year, I mean, that pitch starts to get pretty weak, doesn't it? So that's why I think either yeah. the Clippers or the Heat, you know, for similar reasons, uh, I, I would talk myself into doing it, knowing the risks. And here's the other thing. If Butler comes and gets injured again, uh, this year, you're, you don't have to automatically give him that five-year max next summer, right? Like that's still a negotiating point. And I think if you're trading for him on a discount right now, uh, you know, you don't even have to have the handshake deal going forward. You just say, okay, like next summer we'll, we'll sort that out. And obviously we'll take care of you if things go as planned, right?
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, and, and look, the the Tobias Harris point is a really good one. Um, and if the alternative is is spending 120 or 130 million dollars on tobias harris then sure maybe jimmy butler in his 30s makes more sense for for the clippers um i just like i it was funny because i hadn't really looked at his profile like until i sat down to write about him last week and and looking at the games that he's already missed over the last five years, I mean, he's, he's played 70 games once in the last five years, um, coupled with the money you're going to have to give that dude. It's, it's thorny, man. And it, I honestly, like, this is a different situation than Kawhi hitting the open market or uh, Kyrie, uh, the trade block last year. Like, butler is a much bigger risk and uh if i were like i think you're already sort of seeing that teams like the nets and the knicks are saying "Eh, i don't know i don't know if this is what we want to do um but it'll be interesting to see how it ends up i guess final thoughts
1: well well, flip it around though if you're thibodeau or you know whoever's making the call there glenn taylor whatever what are the pieces that you want from one of those teams? Like Josh Richardson, (laughs) Justice Winslow, do you want Tobias back? Like, what are you trying to get from those teams or the Nets or the Knicks? Like, from that group of teams that's sort of been in the mix, like, are there really guys that stand out as both attainable and really, like, hot commodities?
0: Yeah, you know, it is funny because thinking this through, like, they're just both both the Clippers and the Heat are full of guys who are like decent bench players who you could easily see Tibbs asking to do too much. Um I mean literally like the Heat are just full of guys who would fit great on a on a Tibbs team. Um and then also the idea of Tibbs coaching Hassan Whiteside is hilarious, and so I, I hope that happens somehow. I, if I were my if if I were Minnesota though, I would kind of try to look beyond those short term pieces, and that's that to me is the best argument for not having Thibodeau make this decision, is because I think he's going to look for guys who are going to give the Wolves the best chance to go like. Get a seventh seed this season, and uh, if I were Minnesota, I would be looking for more sustainable, long-term pieces and 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 more quality than quantity. And I think what what you're going to see is Jimmy Butler get traded for like three or four guys who are going to help fill out that Minnesota rotation. And, uh, and like the the to answer your question though, the first call I would have made is trying to steal Otto Porter from the Wizards and uh, and I, I maybe that those conversations have happened I've, I've I've heard that the Wizards thought about it but are ultimately not really interested um, but uh, a player like that it would be more sustainable for the long term than like the poo-poo platter from the Clippers or heat
1: yeah. Um, I'm also worried not only that Thibodeau would want to make a short-term move like you're describing, I actually wonder whether Taylor would have the same problem, right? Because isn't there some vibes of like, you know, he's a little maybe scorned here. He's tired of being bullied. It's a little bit like Dan Gilbert in 2010. I don't think that Taylor is going to break out the angry comic sans. But I could absolutely see him be like, "Who's gonna make the playoffs after this trade? We will, and Jimmy won't." Like I could see him having that mentality <laughs> of like, "If we can just trade for a couple placeholders and like go make the playoffs, we'll show Jimmy what he's missing out on." And you know whether it's a Thibodeau uh, logic for going short term or whether it's an ownership logic going short term, I think either way it would be a mistake, right? And. Now that you've got Cat locked up and, you know, after this year, Wiggins will be one year closer, one year more tradable. um, I think you need to start reimagining the future of this team of trying to get guys who are exactly on Cat's timeline, who fit with Cat's game. Yeah. um, And that should be the priority. And my question is, will Taylor have the clear-sightedness to get there? And nothing he's done over the last 15 years has convinced me that he will.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a a really great point. And it's funny to think about Glenn Taylor because on the one hand, this is a guy who has been screwed by now three superstars with KG, Kevin Love, and now Jimmy Butler and would be like vaguely justified in feeling like the NBA is just kind of a shitty deal for small markets. But at the same time... This is a guy who has run his franchise so poorly over the last couple decades. And, uh, you know, I don't blame anybody who wants out of Minnesota. And I think the two lessons that I take away from this whole ordeal are that, number one, uh, the contracts and the the amount of money that teams are having to give players – lead to some irrational outcomes. Like I think Jimmy Butler probably sat down and asked if the wolves were willing to commit 190 million to him and they probably blinked. And that kind of deepened the divisions with this whole relationship and probably brought us to where we are now. And so that's part of the story. Um, and, And I don't blame the wolves for feeling a little like, reluctant about committing that especially when they're faced with committing 190 million dollars to Carl Towns at the same time and so that's like a lot to deal with but then also I think the the one thing that has proven true year after year after year is teams with crappy ownership are like those are the situations where stuff like this happens and so in that respect none of this should be surprising with Minnesota because they, they like The idea that hiring Thibodeau was suddenly going to reverse 15 or 20 years of dysfunction was always probably kind of fantasy.
1: Yeah. My last parting thought on this whole saga is we're going to learn a lot about Carl Anthony Towns over the next 12 months, right? Like whenever Butler gets traded. Wiggins might
0: not be as horrible as he looked last year, uh, just for the record.
1: Slow down. Just because he reminds you of Brandon Ingram (laughs) doesn't mean you have to get all excited. But (laughs) looks. I mean, Towns has legit number one overall player talent. He really does. He's put up insane numbers uh, for a young big at his age. He's an unbelievable shooter. He's you know very uh, you know deep skill set offensively, and I think he's got some of the just the intelligence and the makeup to be a really special guy, right? Like he he seeks out knowledge. He's trying to improve. Uh, You know, he's was kind of a goody two shoes in high school, and that's kind of maybe transitioned a little bit into the NBA as well. He has everything you need to be a big-time player, but they just gave him a whole bunch of money. They have a major question hanging over him uh, with this Thibodeau thing. The Butler mess is going to drag on a little bit here in the short term, and then he's not going to have a very good team around him going forward, right? Is he going to get lost for a couple of years? Is there going to be that period like we saw with Anthony Davis where we sort of forget about him a little bit because... Uh, everything around him isn't going well. Does he find a way to lead the whole franchise through it? Does he grow and realize, hey, I'm a max guy. Now this is my team. Everyone He, he becomes the guy who holds everyone else accountable. Or does he just realize, hey, my life's pretty good. I can go home in, in mid-April every year and still get paid like a max guy. That's what I mean when I say we're gonna learn a lot about him. It could go either way with him. Uh, and you know, uh, that's probably the biggest story to frankly watch in Minnesota. Cause at this point I'm ready to write them out of the playoff, uh, you know, standings, you know, I don't see them making it, uh, with, you know, post Jimmy Butler trade. Uh, yeah. I don't think towns and Wiggins is enough at this point.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, my final thoughts are number one, I just need to make it very clear to you. I have adopted a number of ill-fated reclamation projects over the last few years i am not doing that oh, with andrew no. wiggins okay no. i'm not Don't going to do down. it <laughs> yeah i promise do do it <laughs> even i have a line i'm just saying he may not be as bad as he looked last year um and number two we've gotten a number of kind of helpless emails from wolves fans uh one listener named audrey emailed on september 10th after the Luol Dang signing, saying "I'm a Wolves fan, please help me," and then she reiterated last week, "I'm a Wolves fan, please help." Uh, I, the one thing I would say is a silver lining if you're Minnesota or or a fan of them is you're not now faced with going into this year pretending everything was okay, and like even if you if you went back to July and asked us to talk about the Wolves. I think both you and I were pretty glass half empty on what was possible for them this year. And like, just the, you know, the whole chemistry situation, it was it last year was miserable. And, and this year was going to be miserable. And I do think that the prospect of at least talking yourself into towns for the next couple of years is more attractive than pretending that any of this was ever going to work with Jimmy Butler And that is also better than paying Jimmy Butler into his mid 30s because I'm not super high on where he's headed either. So it's not all horrible for the Wolves. They just need to fire tips. I think that's the next step.
1: I think the next step is Andrew Wiggins has to text Rodney Hood for some advice about avoiding your curse. I mean, I think that's (laughs) number one. Uh, but n- number two, I mean, the tips thing for sure, like that's going to have to get resolved. And I don't really see a silver lining here. I'm not trying to bury Timberwolves fans. I know they've been through a lot and they're going to go through a lot more, but when you look sort of like the arc of this franchise, right, they went all in last summer because they had the multiple number one picks and they wanted to really, you know, jumpstart and put themselves into contention and grow with those guys. That whole thing has already been exploded. And usually when that happens, it takes a solid two years for a franchise to recover, to kind of regain its footing. yeah, Minnesota fans, they should be among the most impatient in the league. Like there was a playoff mandate last year for a reason, because they hadn't been there in like 14 years, right? And what I'm worried is, I don't think they're going to go another 14 years without making the playoffs, but what I'm worried is that this could be a major setback that has a multi-year implication where it's very much like the Pelicans that we saw you know, earlier in Anthony Davis's career where it was always just sort of like, well, Towns is good, but it sure is a shame like what they're doing around him. And I feel like that's where they're getting plunged back to. And knowing how bright the future seemed, you know, as recently as like 18 months ago or right after the Butler trade, that's a really tough body blow for a franchise. And again, I'm not trying to rub it into their fans. They've been through enough, but I don't think we should try to sugarcoat it and say, oh, everything is going to be just fine and dandy. Andrew (laughs) Wiggins is going to put the cape on and come back and save this thing that's not going to happen
0: yeah no it's dark it's just not like a complete disaster complete disaster would have been towns wanting out also and that was on the table for a while there
1: yeah or them trading towns because they had to like appease butler right that would have been the that's the worst case scenario
0: trading towns and keeping miserable jimmy butler and paying him into his 30s would have been really brutal um and you know what one other thing no matter what, because you and I have chosen to spend 35 minutes talking about this tonight, it's a mortal lock that Jimmy Butler is going to be traded within two hours of this podcast publishing. So the whole saga is nearing its conclusion, and we are helping push everyone past the finish line here. Um, and we will keep things rolling, but first, Ben... Today's episode of Open Floor is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. There's something for everyone with HelloFresh's selection. Ben, talk to me about your experience with HelloFresh.
1: Hello, fresh. There are three plans to choose from. Classic, veggie, and family. Andrew, you know I'm a vegetarian, so you know I'm excited that one of those three great plans is called veggie. Each box is made up of fresh, responsibly obtained ingredients. Nothing was stolen, nothing was coerced. It was very responsibly obtained from carefully selected farms and high-rated trusted sources. So, Andrew, you can make your family dinners Fuss free with HelloFresh's picky eater, kid tested and approved family plan recipes. Each week, there's a 20 minute meal on the classic menu for when you really don't have more time than that to rediscover the excitement of cooking. And Andrew, the 20 minute meal is the real deal. Okay, there's other cooking plans out there. They say it takes 20 minutes, it takes 45 minutes. And if you're somebody like me, it could take an hour and a half to cook that thing. These 20-minute meals take 20 minutes, Andrew. You're going to be full before you even realize that you were hungry.
0: Yeah, there you go. Rediscover the magic and excitement of cooking. There are many benefits of subscribing. And now the good part, our listeners get $20 off your first three boxes. That's a total of $60 off. All you have to do is visit HelloFresh.com slash Floor60 and enter promo code Floor60. That's Floor spelled out, six zero. It's that simple. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Floor60 and rediscover the joy of
1: cooking. It's HelloFresh.com slash Floor60. HelloFresh.com slash Floor60. And the promo code is floor 60. That's going to give you $60 off and you're going to be part of a cool subscription food plan. You're going to love it, Andrew. Don't forget that You know what, options. Ben?
0: I just discovered, I just realized why it's 60 because you're saving $60. When I first read that, I was like, why Why did they throw 60 in there? But that makes sense. Go save $60. Go get HelloFresh. Let's get back into it.
1: And don't admit those kinds of things out loud ever again.
0: (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's finish out, though, with a handful of questions about the rest of the league. And here's a general one. You were at Lakers Media Day today, uh, Monday. How was it? What was the scene like?
1: it was pretty wild. I mean, there was a couple hundred media members and they were very media friendly as Lakers always are. They had LeBron go first before everybody, before Luke Walton, like he was first. So LeBron went, you know, hundreds of people got their pictures and their photos and their video. And then, you know, half the media left because LeBron was already done, right? So Uh that was very nice and polite uh, from the Lakers PR staff. uh, So kudos to them. LeBron in sort of calculated fashion really didn't wasn't that excited it was kind of very flat F affect And he looked like he was trying to avoid making any headlines. I think he's smart enough to realize that all anybody really cares from media day is to see pictures of him uh, with the young guys and in his new jersey. And so he probably just figured like, I'm not going to waste my good material (laughs) this early. I'm going to save it for the preseason or whatever else. I mean, he really just said, hey, we've got a long way to go uh, to catch up with Golden State. You know, we're not going to measure ourselves by, you know, a championship being the only sign of a successful season praised Rondo's uh you know basketball intelligence. I mean, he kind of just checked all the boxes on the list. yeah um, what was funny was how much of an afterthought Lonzo was because last year at Media Day, it was just a Lonzo orgy. I mean, you know, dozens of media members just following him around from station to station trying to, you know, capture like every last bit of content, you know, related to the big baller himself. This year, he kind of like snuck in the side and it was people like, oh, hey, there's Lonzo. That's interesting. Uh, Yeah. But you really can't blame anyone. I mean, it was kind of overload between LeBron and then trying to capture all the new guys in their jerseys for the first time. I mean, seeing Rondo in yellow was really, really disorienting. (laughs) Michael Beasley, uh, you know, JaVale McGee, Lance Stevenson, and Rondo all posing for a photo together. I mean, that is enough to make your head explode. So, yeah. you know, amidst all of that, it was easy for guys like, uh, you know, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, you know, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, who I think a lot of people have forgotten even still exists. I mean, it was easy for them to sort of slide under the radar.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is. I forget Kentavious Caldwell-Pope is in the NBA all the time. Um, in fact, just now, I was like, oh, that's right. He is on the Lakers. <laughs> um, but uh yeah. I mean, it's probably, first of all, it's probably healthiest for Lonzo to be flying under the radar. I think that's a good place for him to be right now. I th- people who know basketball are very excited to watch him play and and see how he fits with this Lakers team. But it, it's probably better off that like the mainstream fans don't really care about him anymore and are not going to overanalyze every like five-minute stretch he plays uh, to start the year. Um, the, th- did you see the LeBron nicknamed the veterans mud The like the JaVale, uh, Beasley, Lance Stevenson, Rondo quartet. Did you see that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's pretty weak. <laughs> Not LeBron's best work. I think, hold on. Let me see what it stands for. Um, yeah, it stands for motivated, underrated,
1: determined or something yeah i don't know i don't think i mean do any of those words apply (laughs) yeah (laughs) like let's let's make it to thanksgiving before we still say all these guys are definitely determined i mean i don't think underrated works at all for i mean if anything guys like beasley and lance have been completely overrated even these last couple of years (laughs) i would say Rondo even like you know, he got so much positive buzz down the stretch of last season. I'd say he's probably overrated as well um, and motivated. I think that would be a question mark on a, a few of those guys. Oh, yeah, that so, would definitely uh, be a Michael Beasley question mark over the years. I could be wrong
0: on what the U stands for, by the way. I don't know. But I, I do have one very specific question for you from Lakers Media Day and then one big picture question. But the specific maybe- question...
1: I'm thinking muddled, underwhelming. Uh, what's <laughs>
0: underwhelming.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I
0: For better or worse, mud is going to stick because that's just really weird. Um, the question I had, though, does the yellow in the new Lakers jerseys look weird to you? Or is it just me? Because I'm like... I, I initially really liked the new designs that Nike came up with, but every picture I've seen, the yellow just looks like slightly off. I can't tell whether it's too bright or whether it's like the phone I'm looking at things on. Uh, But what was it like in person? I know that's a very stupid question that probably won't translate at all on a podcast, but did did you notice a difference at
1: all? So just to be clear, you're asking me to assess like the quality of your iris and your cornea. <laughs> yeah, that... that's exactly what I want to know. It just that
0: all those jerseys
1: look a what little awesome. Great off radio. To me. <laughs> God, how long have we been off? Two weeks, and this is what you come up with. No, I think they uh, they look a little bit bright. They don't really look like that classic uh, Lakers yellow. They look like they're okay. made for to really pop on an HD television screen. That's what they look like to me. Like they're going to you know arrest your attention when they come on at the bar or the restaurant on the big, like 60 inch plasma, like you're yeah. going to have to stare because they're like, you know, they're, they're not neon, but they're bright.
0: Okay. That's that. That's the thing. Cause they went with the throwback graphics and, and tweaked the yellow to make it weirdly. It, you're right. It's not quite neon, but it's just a little brighter than it should be. And it's very off putting to me. So uh, thank you for at least validating that I'm not insane. Um, In general, though, here's where I'm at with with LeBron and the Lakers. I think both you and I, every time we've talked about this, have just kind of conceded that this is going to be the biggest story in basketball this year. But, like, here we are, day one of the season, and I just don't know if I care. Like, it's going to be kind of weird, but I don't know if we're going to be able to really care about this team the way I think a lot of people expected to. This year, because it's just going to be strange. Um, but there's the the upside is so clearly limited that it's going to be hard to really be intrigued by any of this. What do you think? Did you feel that yeah. at all?
1: I mean, I kind of hear what you're saying, but I think that's a function of us talking about it for so much that you just have exhausted yourself and you're just waiting to actually see it on the court. I think it's going to be really intriguing to watch on the court because they've got yeah. all sorts of position. They've got all sorts of position issues. They've got the pace question in terms of how fast they can play. They've got to decide you know, how often they're going to play LeBron at the five. They've got a whole bunch of young guys who could be really awesome or they could be you know, somewhat disappointing. Then you've also got the fact of like LeBron saying all the right things about kind of like teaming up with this mud squad, you know, my former (laughs) nemeses, like how is that really going to work in practice? You don't think he's going to be driven crazy by Lance and Rondo at various points of this season. That seems like an absolute given. So how does LeBron handle that on the court to me uh, is a major, major question. And we saw that at the early time of the second stint in Cleveland, right? Dion Waiters, how quickly was he traded, right? Like who is going to be this year's Waiters, I think is you know, absolutely something to look at. And then just in terms of the body language between these guys, like it was very much the LeBron show. Not only did he go first, but he obviously had the most commitment. So he was kind of being whipped around from like station to station. I saw him dap up Brandon Ingram, but like, you know, he walked right by Leitz. Didn't really seem like they exchanged much, you know, in in public in front of the media members. Mm -hmm. So they weren't even really like putting on like, Hey, we're fake best buddies here on day one of like, you know, the new class. Like. It just kind of seemed like, hey, we're all thrown together. We're all in this random mix. We're probably all not going to be here next year, you know, but we'll just <laughs> see what happens. That was sort of the vibe. And I'm not sure it's going to be beautiful basketball, but I do think it's going to be intriguing because there's no way this works perfectly from day one on the court. Like yeah. this, There's going to be struggles and it's always fun to see how does LeBron work through the struggles and then who gets kind of cast aside. I guess that's what I'm looking forward to most. Uh, you know, from this uh, Lakers season and highlighted by that, who can step forward? Ingram, Lonzo, Hart, Kuzma, who's been getting a lot of attention here locally for how much you know, work he's put into his game over the summer. I think that's kind of what I'm most excited about. The old guys, like the veterans, the muds of the world, I'm out. I, <laughs> I'm, already o- I'm already over them. I'm ready for them to be bought out, traded, whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm definitely interested in seeing Ingram and Lonzo and Kuzma and Hart, in part because even if those guys are not necessarily the long-term pieces that are going to help LeBron win a title, which they may be, they may not be, but like their performance is going to be relevant relative to their trade value also. And so it's, it's going to be
1: interesting in that respect. I just like Boom. you. Well, there you go. Now we've got the deed. It's muddled, underwhelming deadline fodder. Okay. there you go. <laughs> yeah. You
0: just, you mentioned 300 reporters being there and I, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, like, I don't know if this Lakers team is going to be that interesting or interesting enough to justify the attention it's going to get. But, um, who knows the lonzo element will be fun uh moving on to the other side of the country drew says if you guys could include coaches where would you have put brad stevens in the top 100 does he bring enough value to crack the top 50 i knew there was nobody better to ask than one of the list authors and ben and the biggest celtics fan i know in sharp um Ben, do you have any take on Brad Stevens' place on that list?
1: This was an inappropriate question last year when you made me address this question. It's an even more inappropriate question this year because you're making me address it again. And because I explicitly told you not to include this question. How much Brad Stevens slurping is too much Brad Stevens slurping, Andrew? It's absolutely out of control
0: yeah well listen first of all brad stevens would probably be somewhere in the 40s on the top 100 i feel like uh but it's also you you
1: say you say four or five or what did you (laughs) forties? Yeah. i mean look top 20 like we're being real um no it's a good transition brad stevens would never blow his team up like jimmy butler so therefore he's got to be top 10 right
0: there you go you know jimmy butler in retrospect i we don't I'm not criticizing your list, but given the way the last couple weeks have played out, would you move Jimmy Butler down five spots?
1: Not five spots, but he would have been behind Kawhi because we were anticipating Butler sort of being like locked in and ready to go, not going on strike a week before (laughs) the season. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and
0: again, the injury stuff is pretty grisly. Um, Well, anyways, the reason we mentioned the Brad Stevens stuff is because I was in Boston today. Uh, I was I was holding down the fort, the Larry Bird to your Magic Johnson, holding down the fort with the Celtics. Um, and I don't know. I don't have a ton of a ton of like reporting from the scene. It was actually remarkably low key. It, they, the Celtics had the me- had their media day out in Canton, Massachusetts, which is about thirty minutes outside of the city, and, and they were sort of rigorously understated. I mean, every player talked for about five or 10 minutes. They, they did all the interviews in a converted cafeteria in this sort of like weird production, uh, building. And, uh, I, maybe it's just not about publicity for my Celtics and they're all about kind of getting ready for uh... number 18 and
1: keeping things understated and just doing their job. That's what they're about. Well, it's- Stop right there, because I'm about to vomit or or dry heave or whatever it was you said (laughs) This is
0: revenge for the Alabama takes this weekend.
1: Okay, but as a win connoisseur, I do need to ask you, just did you have that feeling, you know, in your gut or, you know, just sort of like in your heart that you were looking at a team that was going to be like truly special, a 65-win team? Like, was that the vibe these guys had? Or are we getting ahead of ourselves in terms of crowning them the next super team and all that? Like when you were looking around the gym, were you like, oh man, look at all this talent they've assembled. They're all healthy and all ready to go. Or was it more like, yeah, they're going to be one of the top three seeds in the East. We'll see how it shakes out.
0: Um, No, it's definitely the former. I mean, look, you you sit there and and look at this Celtics roster. It is pretty striking how much talent they have. And uh, by the way they had a bench nickname emerge from media day as well, where I Marcus Morris nicknamed the bench bench with attitude, BWA uh, for Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier, Marcus smart, and maybe a couple others. Um, not sure where Daniel Tice and those guys fit into that, but they're like, there are eight or nine guys who are going to be really good and really helpful for them. And, um, you know, if, if Hayward comes back 90% of what he was and Jason Tatum takes a step or two forward, that's, that's like a scary team. And I think like, there's no question they're going to be in the finals. And it's to reiterate what we've kind of been saying all summer. Um, I think this Celtics team is closer to the Warriors than any team we've seen since Durant went to Golden State. And, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't pick them to to beat Golden State, but they are going to be able to push them harder than anybody.
1: So are you finally ready to say that they're more talented than the Washington Wizards, or do you still see the Wizards as being more talented? <laughs> well, did you see Mark Keefe today at, at Wizards Media Day? He said that he said oh, Boston no. has never been more talented than us. Oh, so no. now we know who's ghostwriting his <laughs> tweets. Huh? It's, it's Andrew Sharp, okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Wizards media day, again, I've I've been up in Boston, but the Wizards kept things very on brand, okay? John Wall came out and challenged reporters to name 30 players that were better than him, because ESPN had him 31st in the NBA on their NBA rankings, Um, and then Marcus Morris claimed the Celtics have never been better than the Wizards, and then The annual tradition, every single season for like six or seven years, the Wizards have announced some previously unreported injury at the very beginning of training camp. And good news, Ben, Dwight Howard already has a bad back, has not played a day in Washington, D.C., but Scott Brooks said he's dealing with back issues. So uh, it's going to be a great year. I'm excited.
1: I can't remember what when you wrote that call I'm like 18 ways to talk yourself into Dwight Howard or whatever that ridiculous headline <laughs> was. Did did injury before training camp begins factor into any of those 18 or did you need a 19?
0: Oh man it was one of those things where I really did do a double take this morning and say, I just don't know. I don't know why I keep doing this. Uh, Because last year it was John Wall's knee. A couple years ago, it was like a stress fracture with Bradley Beal. Uh, There's just, it's a lot. Uh, But the bottom line is the Celtics said all the right things today and were very impressive. And, uh, and again, similar to LeBron, actually, they were all going out of their way to not really make news or say anything interesting, um, which I think is probably the smart play if you're in their spot. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think the bottom line is that this podcast is in beautiful synchronicity. I go down to Alabama as a wind yes. connoisseur to see greatness and not 24 hours later, I guess, you know, maybe 48 hours later, you forsake the Washington Wizards media day to go to the Boston Celtics media day and once again appreciate the greatness and <laughs> and maybe you know turn your back on your true love i mean i got to say there's some very eerie parallels here and don't let it i mean the whole open floor globe can see what's happened here, Andrew. Look at you just getting sucked in. Pretty soon, you'll be buying a house up in the you know Massachusetts suburbs so you can have better access to your new favorite team. Maybe you can write a book with guys like you know Bob Ryan and Mister Tommy Points himself. <laughs> it is absolutely despicable what you're doing to your poor Washington Wizards. I think that they need to rally around your lack of, um, you know, trust and belief in what they're capable of and dedicate this season to proving you a treasonous and, you know, basically trying to, like, reclaim your rooting interests. It's getting embarrassing, Andrew. I'm feeling bad for you.
0: Yeah, I mean... I don't know. It's a strange place, but you're right. I am abandoning my true love and embracing my new love, the Boston Celtics. No apologies. Listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's me. Uh, I will. Me and Bob Ryan will get to work. This is going to be a special year up here in the Bean. Um, But moving on to, to me, this was the most notable thing to emerge from media days across the NBA, did you see the clip of Kawhi Leonard at, in Toronto uh, on Monday?
1: I did. I don't know what to make of it. What do you make of it?
0: Okay. Well, first, let me play it for the listeners yes, here. For don't anyone understand. who didn't see Kawhi, it. Um, I'm just off to your right.
1: Uh, a lot of people up here don't know much about you. Can you? How would you describe yourself? And what would you like people to know about you?
0: Um, I'm a fun guy. Uh, Obviously, I love the game of basketball. Um, I mean, there's just more questions you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs> He's right there. Uh, the bosses, there you go. Uh. All right, so there's Kawhi. I... I don't even know. He, he's such a weirdo. Um, I mean, the laugh there is the most ridiculous. It's like the laugh of a psychopath almost. Uh, but beyond that, he just, he just oozes
1: charisma, doesn't
0: he? I mean, he <laughs> yeah. just... So that that's well, my number no. one takeaway. Is I'm we'll really break it down. I'm really really excited for the year of Kawhi spreading his wings and and trying to. Be a superstar and be a more public person because and maybe maybe this interview will kind of cancel that before it even begins because he's going to see the way people respond to his laugh and be like, no, this is why I never gave interviews. But the whole thing, it's going to be such a bizarre year in Toronto.
1: What do you think? I think we've got to give we got to give a lot of credit to the H E B commercial guys down in San Antonio because they didn't have a lot to work with and they pulled greatness <laughs> out of Kwai in a lot of those supermarket commercials. I mean, if this is what happens when he's given you know just a wide open question to you know speak extemporaneously about your personality in any way, and I think don't overlook the fact that he started with "I'm a fun guy," <laughs> like that yeah, was I what he with <laughs> <laughs> like the laugh is getting you know a lot of people distracted from like the root of his answer which was this is all i've got here there I'm, I'm not comfortable enough to tell you anything else about me um i think kudos to the toronto media's thirstiness i mean they were really just trying desperately to pull something out of him. it didn't happen but boil this down for me after watching that clip did that make you like more likely or less likely to believe in Toronto as a championship contender? Because I know the Raptors fans, just seeing him in that jersey, they want to believe, okay? They're going to look past the goofy laugh. They're going to look past the weird uh, comment that he made. And they're just going to say, we've actually got this guy in Toronto. We can't believe it. We think we're going to be a 60-win team and the best team in the Eastern Conference. Did that clip make you agree with them or did it push you away? Um... I- <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have no read on Ka- on Kawhi the basketball player after that clip because, look, we still haven't seen him play a basketball game in a year and a half. Okay, I am not counting any of the games he played last year. I want to see him on the court before I comment on what the Raptors can or can't do with him out there. To me, the one thing I will say is I am, no matter what, even if Kawhi is Kawhi, the Raptors are still probably a piece or two short from really making a run at the Celtics. Um, and to me, I, like, I'm not excited about another year of debating whether the Raptors have enough and whether the Raptors are for real. I think that's going to be kind of annoying. But um, it, it would be great if Kawhi, the player, gets back to where he was two years ago. Mostly, though, it's it's just like the same the same take we had on Kyrie at the beginning of last year where, like, Every single interview Kyrie gave was must-see TV. That's how I feel about Kawhi for very different reasons, but just watching him handle this is going to be really, really interesting because you're right, the, the
1: monotone, I'm a fun guy, is just amazing.
0: Like That's <laughs> inspired work from Kawhi.
1: I mean, when Kyrie did the interviews, it made you immediately want to transcribe exactly what he had said and like run onto the internet to share it. But when Kawhi gives his interviews, it makes you want to just stare at your computer screen, just slowly blinking and trying to figure out like what just happened. I mean, there's not really a headline. they like, imagine like the headline writers, the aggregators running with this, right? Kawhi, colon, I'm a fun guy. <laughs> like, what are you <laughs> supposed to do? Or like, do you try to spin it into news? And it's like- Twitter erupts over Kawhi's goofy laugh. Like it's not really anything, but you know, people are gonna just be, uh, you know, fascinated by it because of the implications of what Kawhi means for the Raptors in the Eastern Conference race. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around. Uh, what their actual ceiling is. And I do think it really just boils down to Kawhi as a player. It's not so much about the Raptors and their baggage and Kyle Lowry, can he you know, kind of build on what he did in last year's playoffs and go deeper? I mean, isn't the fundamental question about this year's Raptors, doesn't it boil down to is Kawhi overrated or is Kawhi as good as we all thought he was two years ago? I mean, isn't that kind of the nuts and bolts conversation uh, about that team?
0: I mean, yeah, I think so, and and there's also going to be a a steady undercurrent of speculation about what Kawhi wants to do next season, and there are going to be rival fans reading way too much into every single quote, and then there are also going to be Raptors fans doing that. I mean, you even saw Raptors fans coming out of the media day today saying, like, this you could tell, he's committed, he wants to be there. It's like, uh, maybe, I I don't know what you saw, Um, but like... That that's all gonna be part of it. It's just gonna be a very strange story all year long. And uh, and you're right, by the way, where Kyrie would show up and give interviews as if he was like reading out of a thesaurus or something. But with Kawhi, you really have to see the video to appreciate the uh, like uncomfortable. Pauses
1: and the like the silence, and so it it, was like a 15 second band of silence. I, (laughs) I thought you had screwed up when you were playing the clip. I thought you had screwed it up on your computer somehow, but no, it was just like him thinking for 10 seconds about how he wanted to present himself, and that's what he came up
0: with. It's amazing. Um, so go Raptors, go Lakers, go Celtics. Uh, it's gonna be a fun year. Let's finish out with a couple more questions. First, uh, a question about my Saturday. Marcos says, "So, are the rights to Ricky Sanchez guys running a cult? Is there a non-violent way to have some kind of duel between the Open Floor Podcast and the Ricky? Maybe we can all have a pickup game somewhere." Um, good questions, Marcos. So, Ben where are you at with the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast right now? Did you follow along at all? How much did you follow from Saturday night?
1: Well, I did follow along a little bit, but I have to say this. First of all, I was in a completely different headspace these last few days away from the basketball universe. Like for example, I toured the lynching museum, the brand new lynching museum uh, that is in Montgomery, Alabama. And let me just say like, you have to go to it. It's It will really hit you. It's sort of like people say you have to go to the Holocaust Museum in DC. Yeah. Just like it's a life bucket list thing you just have to do to become like a better citizen or, you know, a better American or a better citizen of the globe, however you want to phrase it. You have to go, right? So I was like deep in my feelings after touring that and just thinking about America's dark, uh, you know, history and just all these horrible things. The next day, I'm just like completely overwhelmed by one, a thunderstorm before the Alabama game. So I'm soaked head to toe trying to like take in Nick Saban's greatness, right? But uh-huh. then also just surrounded by like 100,000 people, you know, cheering Roll Tide Roll and just, you know, all of these <laughs> different, uh, you know, just cultural immersion. It was almost immersion, right? It was like I'd gone to a foreign country and just, uh, you know, tried to pick it up on the fight. And then all of a sudden in the middle of that, I'm getting text messages. Uh, my headshot is being projected up onto a screen with like a clown mustache and like a clown face. And I have, <laughs> there's no explanation for what's happening. I didn't even really realize the right to Ricky Sanchez were doing their live podcast. So somehow I'm being mocked and I'm just like, look, you know, you're down here in Alabama. Don't get sucked into this. Just keep enjoying your vacation and like keep trying to like stay in a positive mindset. Yeah, And then- People start sending me pictures of you wearing a Ben Simmons shoot a three coward T-shirt on stage. I can only you know presume like you were probably uh, being mocked mercilessly in front of thousands <laughs> of people, and then someone said that Spike or Cheddar Bob, whatever his name is, that was doing some sort of a wrap-up on stage that may have involved <laughs> us. So these are the like threads, and I'm gonna need you to weave them together for me.
0: Spike or Cheddar Bob or whatever his name is. It's great shade from you. Uh, A plus work. Um, yes. Well, so here's the thing about the rights to Ricky Sanchez is at any time you actually explain it to someone who's not already familiar with what you're talking about, you wind up feeling like an idiot yourself and most certainly sounding like an idiot to everyone else. So I'm sure... Roughly half of our listeners are going to be like, well, Come on, really? This is how you're ending the goddamn podcast? Um, which is a fair criticism. But for people who don't know, The Rights to Ricky Sanchez is a Sixers podcast that has taken on something of a cult following over the last few years. And uh, I used to live with one of the hosts, Michael Levin. I've become friendly with the other host, Spike Eskin, over the last few years. And I just really can't believe how far the whole thing has come. I mean, I went to the podcast Saturday night, and there it was all so completely over the top, but it was impressive. They had it at this place called the Electric Factory, and I'm sure Portland has a, a, a number of venues like this, but like DC has a concert venue called the 930 Club, which is sort of an iconic small music venue that a bunch of famous bands have played at over the years. And it, I think that's what the electric factory is to Philly, except that on Saturday night, the whole place was taken over by Sixers nerds and Spike Eskin and Michael Levin. And they had Elton brand there as a surprise guest, new Sixers GM and Dario Sarich was in the house. Um, and yes, I did wear my shoot a three coward shirt, which I had purchased a couple months ago, just because I like the one thing I, I'm uncomfortable with is that I, I don't like actually wearing Celtics paraphernalia, and it did that shirt emerged from Celtics Twitter, and I don't want to take the Celtics uh, bit too far, but it's just such a great take and such a hilarious shirt that i had to buy it out of respect and uh and then i saw it like two days before i drove up to philly i saw the shirt sitting uh in a drawer somewhere and i was like oh my god this is fate i have to wear it so i wore it on stage and, and yes spike eskin had like a number of poems prepared for various media rivals and both you and i were on the list. And so he kind of roasted me publicly with me sitting there. It was fun.
1: Well, I think that says a lot about your character, frankly, that you would, I mean, it sounds like you had a blast. This sounds horrible. Like if you had (laughs) any sort of like crippling social anxiety, which a lot of people do, I think the last thing you would want to do is have to dress up like a cloud with some t-shirt uh, you know, featuring a guy you almost got into a fist fight with accidentally at last year's training camp, and then just be completely ruthlessly mocked in front of thousands of people who already hate your guts and have bought t-shirts that basically told you to F off, I believe a couple of years yes. ago. And, and yet you came away with this. It sounded like it was your dream Saturday night, the way you're describing it. Like <laughs> you would have not have rather been anywhere else. No, you know what? It It is actually very funny because Typically, I would have had
0: there are like a couple friends in DC that I could have brought and they all had conflicts. And then I had a couple friends in Philly that would have come with me and they all had conflicts. And so, because really, like, there are only a handful of people in any normal person's life who you can be like, Yeah, let me come. Do you want to come to this basketball podcast and watch me get booed? I'm like a fake heel for these people. And so. Once I had exhausted that list, I was rolling solo, and it was, like, pretty awkward to walk into a room full of, like, Sixers diehards and just kind of, like, hang out there for a while uh, because Spike and Mike were busy the whole time. But the thing about their podcast is that as crazy as all those people are, they all have, like, a pretty good attitude and um, – are ultimately like they get the jokes and they're they're just all having a good time and there aren't very many assholes out there so that part of it was fun
1: That sounded like spin, Andrew. Are you sure they don't have a terrible attitude and you're just talking yourself into that because you wanted to be like a little bit less pathetic? Like, is it also possible that there's thousands of people who truly hate your guts? Oh, I'm sure. Laughing (laughs) at you. I mean, isn't that pretty possible?
0: I'm sure there are plenty of people who legitimately hate me. But I think for the most part, everybody there. Is in a good mood and just kind of having fun. And I do admire the Sixers yeah. and and their fans. And like the the rights to Ricky Sanchez cult in particular became so unbearable toward the end of last season, and were just talking so much shit about how right they were about the process. And then to turn around and lose to the Celtics on the heels of that was. Mm-hmm remarkably humbling but they have recovered quite nicely so i'm happy for them and the best part of the night by the way was uh elton brand was on stage being interviewed and i think it was spike mentioned like this is a normal collar and the entire crowd broke into normal collar normal collar (laughs) (laughs) elton brand was visibly uncomfortable it was great
1: that's fantastic. I mean, you just described yourself as a fake heel. I think you're the only person who would describe yourself that way. I think you're a real heel to these people, Andrew. I'm not sure. Maybe before you go up there and get roasted next year, I think you need to maybe just you know take a page out of my book and do a little bit of meditating on this subject to figure out exactly where you do stand because... <laughs> I think you're being slightly too charitable. I don't know. Maybe it's just the people who send me these video links they they like to like you know talk trash on the internet. I know that's part of their thing, and maybe they're real nice and friendly in real life, but man, people are having a good time at your expense that's fine man if If I'm a real heel, I can own that. I
0: really do think Ben Simmons is overrated, and I really do think the Wizards would beat the Sixers in a playoff series this year, so. I I feel that in my heart and I'm cool with whatever whatever that makes everyone else feel. And by the way, Open Floor actually did get a lot of love out there in the wild. Granted, like that particular audience is is really like in the sweet spot of people who are willing to listen to any basketball podcast, but a lot of people enjoyed our work. So it was nice to meet them out there in the wild.
1: Well, that sounds awesome. It did seem like a really good time. I'm not kidding, guys, when I said it sounded like Andrew's dream weekend. I mean, he was texting so just voraciously, like showing off his (laughs) T-shirt. I uh, I, love that shirt. The story story that you were telling versus the story that people were sending me were just so completely different. I'm glad we could sort of (laughs) merge those two stories together and figure out what actually happened. There you go. But it sounds like a great time. And my real question is, where's my invite, Andrew? I mean, I thought... I, I'm under the impression I'm also banned from this podcast, right? Yet I didn't get an invite to the show. They're yeah, not flying me out. I thought these guys were big time. What happened?
0: I don't know, man. Next year, I, I don't know. I don't know when the next live show is, but I'm I'm sure you have a standing invitation. I don't know if you would like it as much as I do because I am kind of like a shithead where like I do enjoy playing the heel and I enjoy the booze and I don't know. Uh, but maybe look. If you if you and I want to go as a tag team at a pair of heels and uh, just troll those the Sixers after like their inevitable second round playoff loss next year, uh, I'm a, I'm in as long as you are. So,
1: well, look after hearing you describe how you don't have a single friend to bring with you to one of these concerts, I will go with you next <laughs> year for moral support.
0: Oh, good. All right. Well, last question from Caitlin says she asks. Ben, whenever you talk about traveling to your favorite parks or show pictures of your travels on Instagram, I always wonder about your trip logistics. My husband and I talk about getting an RV and traveling around, but we always get overwhelmed with the planning side of it. How do you plan your getaways? Please give some advice to those who are looking to get started with more hiking and visits to these great parks. What do you... What do you have to say to the people? Because that's actually one of my questions. It's like, I would be more inclined to visit if the logistics of national park hangouts and tours through the South were easier to plan.
1: Well, I, I hear what you're saying. First of all, it's not that difficult, okay? You fly near the park, you drive to the park, you drive home from the park, you fly home from the airport, right? It's not like that complicated. It all just kind of boils down to, which parks do you want to go to and which ones are easy to get. I mean, I personally prefer not to ever have to like connect if I don't have to from a flying standpoint, because it just makes it more efficient. So I think number one, the most important mentality Caitlin needs to have and you need to have too, is just maximize your time and efficiency, right? Like don't go to a national park and look at it like it's gonna be some like relaxing getaway. Like you're just gonna be putting your feet in some like white sand beach and like you're just gonna be sipping on a fruity drink for three days straight. Like that's not how I do it at all. I'm just all about traveling at a thousand miles per hour and trying to do as much as I possibly can and, you know, take as many pictures while I'm there and then just get in, get out. So the first thing you do is, you know, see how many parks you, or how much time do you have, right? If you have 10 days, I try to fit in like three or four parks. So put them on a map, map it all out, see where you're going, you know, realize it's going to be lots of long days, but always mix it up. So you've got at least something fun on every single day. And then you're just driving in between spots, maybe in the evening after it's already dark, when there's nothing that you can really see out there. Yeah, My logistics are also a a little bit different, Andrew, because I always stay outside the parks at like just cheap Marriott's, like off the side of the freeway type, you know, Spring Hill suites. And like nothing fancy, but I don't actually camp. And so this idea of the RV, that would definitely slow you down. Like if I were you guys, I would just rent like an SUV so you have enough room for all your stuff, but then just drive back and forth from the park to local hotels. Uh, That's how I do it. And I find it's pretty efficient. Um, I tend not to spend more than uh, like three consecutive days in the same park. (laughs) So I go down the list and I'm just sort of like, what are the big things that everyone says you have to see? Like, what are the bucket list items? You know, what are the coolest hikes? You know, I do a lot of, uh, you know, pre-research on Instagram to find sort of like the coolest spots that other people have, uh, you know, posted photos from uh, to kind of get inspiration for how I put my days together. A lot of times I pack food with me, so I don't have to worry about finding lunch or like timing when I go hiking. Yeah. And when I do get out into the wilderness, I just stay out there. You know, I let it go as long as it's fun. So if it's a three-hour walk, a four-hour walk, you know, you, you walk two <laughs> hours, take a break, sit by a lake, walk the two hours back. I mean, that's that's what I try to do. But for me, there's no downtime. Don't relax, don't bring a book, like exhaust yourself having fun. Get back to the hotel sleep for six to seven, eight hours, wake up and then do it all again. And by the time you're done, you'll have had so much fun that, you know, the vacation will have flown by and you'll be ready to get back to work. That's my general philosophy on vacation.
0: There you go. I love how sincere that answer was. Um, Ben, this has been great. You now have 50 new magnets to add to your collection after, a, a
1: Torrid no, 33. Tor- okay. 33. Okay. Sorry. 33. 33. New magnets. Don't, no great inflation. Okay. I try to keep myself to strict rules. I don't buy more than five magnets any single day. And I try not to buy more than two from the same spot. But Caitlin, the magnets can be good uh, motivators as well, right? Like if you're worried, oh, I don't want to drive those two extra hours. Just remember there could be a gift shop at the end of that ride and they could sell some awesome magnets that you could could, uh, put up in your living room as beautiful art and impress Uh, all of the people who come over to visit
0: yeah well what's most important is that you won't be planning a vacation until next september because we are back at it back to the regular schedule basketball is here roll tide shout out spike and mike shout out jimmy butler for being a mess Um, and i look forward to talking to you later later in the week and all year long it's good to be back
1: No, it's great to be back. And Andrew, the Open Floor Globe members can email us at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And they can also go to Apple Podcasts, search Open Floor, that's two words, find our page, scroll down, and it will say rate and review tap five stars give us a nice positive re- review it's just that easy and andrew you were giving some shout outs. so i'd like to give one shout out too if that's okay yeah it would be to uh, one of my homies on instagram his name is j divine 09 i believe he's a pastor in mississippi and at his church on the big uh, sign out front <laughs> he actually had the he had the lettering to you know kind of uh, advertise his upcoming sermon and do you know what that lettering read andrew i it do read availability <laughs> is the greatest ability andrew the open floor gospel is being spread god the is listening church <laughs> god is in listening the deep and he's South. excited
0: for the new season absolutely by our guy
1: j divine 9 nine mr divine you are truly divine andrew until later this week i will talk to you all right man take it easy
0: Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.